This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Great to uh, see you all today and to be with you. Uh, as uh, Pastor Dan said, uh, my wife Melanie and I normally attend South Fellowship. We're usually at the 9 o'clock service, but uh, the last few months uh, I've been uh, hired to serve as an interim pastor at a small Baptist church out in Lakewood, and uh, despite the fact that it's Baptist, we're having a really great time, and I say that as a lifelong Baptist. So uh, anyway, uh, just great to come back and worship with all of you today. Uh, We uh, consider South Fellowship our home church, so it's just wonderful to to be with you, and the the worship's just great. You just are singing so well, and that's from somebody who doesn't know how to sing at all. So... (laughs) Um, I uh, was talking to Pastor Ryan a couple of weeks ago. I ran into him over at the seminary in the coffee shop, and uh, he said you were going through the book of Acts, and I came in this morning, and you have on your bulletin the movement. And I thought, well, that must refer to the book of Acts, and I love Acts, and I love the idea of movement, so we're going to be in Exodus today, okay? (laughs) Let's... uh, read this passage of scripture out of Exodus 6 together, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to uh, teach us about himself and us this morning. Exodus chapter 6, starting in verses 1, going through verse 9. Let's pay close attention because this is God's word to you and to me. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. That is the Israelites. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, which in the original text is El Shaddai, the the Holy One, the Almighty One. But by my name, the Lord, which is Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses repeated this to the Israelites. But they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. Let's bow together in prayer, and then we'll uh, see what the Lord would say to us from this text. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of being here today. I thank you so much for your church here at South Fellowship. Lord, for its history, for its people, its leadership. 
Lord, the ministry it's had in this community and this world for many, many decades. Lord, may you keep your hand of grace upon this fellowship. May you lead it and guide it into the future. And Lord, this morning now, as we've had the privilege of singing together and fellowshipping together and giving, may you now enlighten our minds and touch our hearts through your word. Lord, we ask this in the blessed name of Jesus, but we do so for our sake. Amen. It's been said, sometimes seriously, and yet sometimes tongue-in-cheek, that the average person suffers from three delusions. First, that he has a good sense of humor. (laughs) Second, that he's a good driver. And third, that he's a good listener. Now, I've always thought it was pretty important to have a good sense of humor in life. I think that that makes life go a little bit better. And in our civilization, in our culture, it's very, very important that we're good drivers. But of those three, the only one that is absolutely crucial to spiritual growth is that we be good listeners. Uh, During his public ministry, as you know, Jesus often went around telling stories, what we call parables. And those stories or those parables were always about the kingdom of God, God's rule and his reign in the lives of men and women and children. And at the end of his teaching, Jesus would often add this statement. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus always called people to listen carefully, to pay close attention to his teaching, because he was giving them words of hope and life in circumstances of despair and death. And that means that those of us here this morning who claim to be the followers, to be the disciples of Jesus, need to listen attentively when he speaks. And that is never, ever more true than when we suffer. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie The Princess Bride. And if you've ever seen that movie, you know that generally speaking, it's a really fun movie that's a comedy. But at one point along the way, there's a character in The Princess Bride who says this, Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Well, I've always really appreciated that statement because it tells us the truth about life. At points along the way, you're going to suffer and I'm going to suffer. But one of the downsides of suffering, in addition to the pain that we're going through, is that oftentimes it can shut us down emotionally, physically. can even shut us down spiritually to the point where we can't see Or hear what's going on around us because of our pain. A long time ago when I was in college, my dad who had suffered through really bad physical health most of the time I was growing up, he had a series of strokes and we knew that he was getting ready to die. And then he did. Well, because we knew that he was getting ready to die, I could prepare myself. And he, that was a big loss. I mean, when you lose your dad and you're still a young guy, that's a, that's a big deal. But I could prepare myself. 
16 years after that, my mom, who had been fighting a, a long-term battle with cancer, was given, a, given a, a diagnosis where she was terminal. And we had a couple of good holiday seasons, and then eventually she went into the hospital and she went into a coma. And I sat with her every day the last three weeks of her life until she died. And that was a big loss for me. In, any, in many ways, it was kind of a crippling loss, but I could prepare myself for that loss. But after my mom died, her sister, my aunt, stepped into the middle of our family, and she kind of took over, and she became kind of the center of the family. And even though she was older, she was full of life, and she had tons of energy. And my sister and my nephew and I would always go over to her house, and we kind of considered that our base of operations, and things were going really well. And then one day... She got struck with the flu. Well, when older people get the flu, you always get a little bit nervous. And after a couple of days, I called the doctor and I said, it doesn't seem like she's getting much better. Should I bring her in? And he said, well, she's not better by Saturday. Bring her in. Well, then on Saturday, she seemed to kind of recover, do really well. Well, then the next day I came home after church and she was not good. And so we took her into the emergency room and they laid her on the table and they hooked her up to IVs. And within about 10 or 15 minutes, she looked like a totally new person. And I thought she just needed some IVs. And so they took her upstairs and they said, we just wait here and we're going to attend to her. And the doctor came down 20 minutes later and said she just died of a heart attack. I was completely unprepared for that. It's a huge, huge loss. And I'll tell you the truth. I was an emotional cripple for weeks. Couldn't seem like I could get my bearings on anything. In fact, at one point, I even called my best friend to come over and just help me kind of manage some of the basic affairs of life. Now, maybe you are here this morning, especially if you're young here, and you've never experienced anything like that. But then again, maybe you're here this morning, and that's exactly where you're at. Only for you, though, it's some kind of physical trauma you're experiencing. Or maybe for you, it's an ongoing situation of unemployment. Maybe you're here, and it's the pain of infertility. Or maybe you're here, and you're single, and you've been single a lot longer than you ever wanted to be single. Or maybe you're here this morning and there is a very big, painful tangle in your marriage. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're suffering the heartbreak of a broken relationship. You walked in this morning and maybe nobody around you even knows it, but you are in great pain. And you got yourself here, but now that you're here, you're not even sure you can hear what God would say to you. Well, I get that. I've been there. And when we read these verses out of Exodus chapter 6, we see that's exactly where the Hebrews were. It says in verse 9 of our text there, Moses reported all this to the Israelites, all these great things that God was telling them. And it says, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. 
See, if we could rewind back to chapters 3 and 4 of Exodus, what we'd see there is is that God came to Moses in the burning bush and he gave him this great call that he would be the deliverer of the Israelites out of Egypt. And then in chapter 4, he reunites with his brother Aaron and they go into the court of Pharaoh. And they tell Pharaoh, you will let the Israelites go. And we're speaking on behalf of Almighty God. And Pharaoh basically says, I don't know you. I don't know your God. Get out of my court. And then Pharaoh tells all the Egyptian taskmasters to make life even more difficult for the Israelites. And that's what they do. And so as a result... They now blame Moses and Aaron, and they're in so much pain, they can't hear these great words from God. You know, I don't indict them for that. I don't blame them for that. Their pain was so much, their hurt was so deep. Their hope was so far gone. Their spirits had been so broken. Their circumstances were so cruel that they felt like they could not hear this word from God. You know, like I said, I don't indict them. I don't blame them. But that's really, really sad because there are some powerful lessons in this passage. In fact, these lessons are so powerful that the Holy Spirit, 3,000 years ago, inspired Moses to write them down. And the reason he did that is because he wanted his people to hear these lessons about who he is and what he's like. And he wants you to hear them, and he wants me to hear them. And we need to hear them because either today or at some point in the future, We're all going to go through some tough times. The first of these lessons is that God hears the hurting. Let's dial in here on verse 5. Here's what God is telling Moses to tell the Israelites. I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. Let's do just a quick review of their situation. They've been in slavery for 400 years. If we read Exodus 1 and the first portion of Exodus 2, we also know that they have faced racial genocide by one of the pharaohs. Their circumstances are really, really bad. And generation after generation of them have lived through some really tough times, and they've cried out. And God has heard them. At the end of chapter 2, and then in verse 7 of chapter 3, God says, I heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. And they cry out again, and God hears them in response to their pain. But their pain is now so great that they will not or they cannot listen to the fact that he cares about them. And that's exactly how it is with us, isn't it? At least, at least on some occasions. We go through really tough times. 
We undergo a really painful situation. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we cry to God for deliverance. And yet our pain is so great, our suffering so intense that we just don't know if he hears us. 911 is the number that we are all so appreciative for the fact that we have in our lives, isn't it? Because we know, and we teach our kids this too, that if something really seriously goes wrong publicly or whatever, that if we just dial 911, there will be a voice on the other end of the phone, and that voice will tell us to calm down, and they'll talk us through the circumstance, and they will say, you know, the fire department's on the way, or the police are on the way, or the ambulance is on the way. We're so grateful that we can call that number and someone will be on the other side of the line. When you and I get into traumatic circumstances, when we are in tough times, when we are suffering and undergoing great periods of pain, we cry out to God for his help. And he always hears us, friends. He always hears us. And the reason he does so is, as he says here, I have remembered my covenant. Now, that's a strange statement. At least it is to me. I mean, I read that and I think, did he forget the covenant that he made with the patriarchs? Was he unmindful of what he had promised centuries ago to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob? And all of a sudden, the Hebrews are in in great suffering and God gets kind of surprised by that. He kind of gets his memory jolted. Well, one of the things we need to remember is the Bible was written a long time ago in a totally different culture, in totally different language. And sometimes the way the biblical writers phrase things, what they mean by those things has to do more with action than with feeling. That's exactly what God is saying here when he says, I remembered my covenant. He's talking about his gracious action, his gracious promise that he will act on here. And he's done that with us. He's made a new covenant with us by the blood of Christ. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here in just a little bit. And this is the visible, physical expression of that covenant that God has made with us, whereby he's promised to love and care and save us and always act towards us in that way. Especially when we're hurting. See, the first part of this passage in Exodus 6 tells us that we can always trust God because of who He is, because He is the God who always hears the hurting. The second lesson is that God gives us Himself. Now, if you don't mind, let me put this in a personal context for just a second. I suspect you're like me, but I know from my own experience of pain and suffering that when I'm suffering, when I'm in pain, the thing I want more than anything else is relief. I mean, I get these bad headaches sometimes and they just kind of take over. And those of you who have experienced migraines, you can kind of identify with that. The one thing you want more than anything else is relief. You just want the pain to stop. 
But I don't think we want to miss out on the lesson that God is giving to the Hebrews and to us here. He's telling them that in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their sorrow, that they are experiencing at the hands of the Egyptians, he is right there with them. Look at what he says again in verses 2 and 3. He says, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. What he's telling them is he said, listen, I revealed myself to the patriarchs. I made a covenant with them, which was an agreement to be their God. But in the midst of your pain now, Israel, I'm showing you who I am. That's my name. I am Yahweh, God, the Lord. In the midst of this very, very tough time for you that you're going through, I want you to know that I am right there in the middle of it with you. I am standing right there in the midst of it with you. Few years ago, I came across a really, really good book by a pastor in Michigan by the name of Jeff Manion, and it's called The Land Between. And uh, Jeff starts off the book by talking about the family he grew up in. His uh, parents were kind of what we call home missionaries, they had a widespread ministry within their denomination in the United States. But then, when he was 12 years old, his family underwent an enormous tragedy. His mom was killed in a car wreck. And here's what he says happened. He says, my mother died on November 30th, which meant that my father lost his wife and that five children under the age of 14 lost our mom between Thanksgiving and Christmas. The holidays only added weight to our grief. As Christmas drew near, a big box arrived at our home. The box was filled with individually wrapped Christmas presents from a church in the Midwest that had a connection with our family and was aware of the heartbreak that we were facing. An accompanying note to my father relayed, don't worry about Christmas presents for your children this year. We want to take care of their Christmas. A couple of days later, another large box arrived also containing Christmas gifts. These also came from a Midwest church, and another heartfelt message was attached that read, don't worry about buying your children Christmas presents. Please let us take care of this. A day or two later, we received a third cachet of gifts, and I distinctly remember thinking, I sure hope these churches don't find out about each other. Then we received gifts a few days after Christmas from a fourth congregation. They were greatly apologetic about the presents arriving late, but I was ecstatic. It was as if Christmas wouldn't end that year. Now, I want you to listen what he says next. It's so important for me. It's so important for you. While the gifts did not take away our grief... The arrival of a box and the mercy that motivated the givers were like a whisper from God. I'm here. I see what you're going through. I know and I care. I haven't forgotten you. 
He goes on to say, we were not suddenly well, and my own turmoil had not dissipated with the arrival of a Nerf football and Hot Wheels cars. Things were still pretty much a mess. But in the mess, God reminded our grieving family that we were not alone. Well, that's what the Lord is telling the Hebrews here in this text. He's saying the exact same thing. He's saying, I know that you're suffering. And when you're suffering, I'm with you. And he's telling us the same thing. When we suffer, I'm right there with you. Now, sometimes... Sometimes in our more honest moments, I think we think this when we're suffering. Lord, it's really great that that you're with me. I'm really glad you're with me in my suffering. But basically, what I want you to do, Lord, is I want you to get me out of this situation. I want some relief right now. Now, maybe you never think that, but I've thought that. But I don't want us to downplay the reality of God's presence with us in the midst of our pain, because sometimes that's the one thing that will get us through. I have some really good friends named Marshall and Susan, and we all went to seminary together years ago. And after seminary, they got married. And within a couple of years, they had two wonderful, beautiful daughters, Stacy and Kelsey. Well, in the seventh year of their marriage, they got pregnant a third time. And this time they had a third little girl and they named her Mandy, but Mandy was born microcephalic. And what that means is they weren't even sure that she had a brain, and if she did have a brain, it was very, very, very tiny. And Mandy was blind and Mandy was deaf, and they never really even knew how much she could experience of life, and yet they loved on her. Well, about a year later, Susan got pregnant again with their fourth child, And along the way, the doctors did a test on her, and they said, your child is going to be severely deformed. We're going to strongly encourage you to have an abortion. And Susan said, you've got to be kidding. I'm a Christian. God has given us this child. And so she gave birth to their fourth child, this little tiny baby boy named Toby. And Toby was severely deformed. And he lived eight minutes And then he died. And two months later, Mandy died. Now, you lose one kid, and that will usually put you under the table. You lose two kids, and that might wreck you for life. And I asked Marshall one time, I said, I know this was hugely painful for you, and yet you and Susan, despite all the pain and all the suffering, you seem to come through this pretty well. How did you do it? And he said, Scott, two scriptures kept us together. The first one was 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, where the apostle says, when we see him, that is Jesus, we will be like he is. And we knew that that's the promise of our faith, that someday... When the resurrection occurs and we're all glorified, we will see Toby and we will see Mandy in heaven and we will be reunited and we will have a relationship with them in heaven that we could not have on earth. And that kept us going there. But he said the other text that kept us going was Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where it says, I will never leave you 
I will never forsake you. Friends, when we are suffering, when we're in pain, when we're in tough times, we can trust God because of who He is. He's the God who always hears the hurting. He's the God who will never leave us or forsake us. The third thing this text tells us about the Lord that we need to listen to, that we need to hear, is that our God is simply incredible. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 1 of this text. God tells Moses to tell the Israelites this. Now, you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let the Israelites go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of the country. And then as we noted a few moments ago in verse 3, God goes on and he says, I revealed myself to the patriarch, says El Shaddai, the Almighty One. In the original text, that's translated the mountain one. Our God is simply beyond incredible because he can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, with anyone he wants, anywhere he wants. It's what theologians call the doctrine of God's omnipotence. He is all-powerful. And then as we read before the beginning of the message in verses 6 through 8, God tells them seven times what he's going to do for them. I'll free you. I'll redeem you. I'll make you my people. I'll show you my power. I will bring you out. And I will give you the promised land. Friends, when we're in pain from loss or betrayal or disease or disaster or any other number of factors that can afflict us as fallen creatures in a fallen world, we need to run to the Lord because he is beyond incredible. See, we need to go to him and run to him and say, Lord, unless you work, this marriage is not going to be healed. Lord, unless you work and you arrange circumstances, I will never get married. Lord, unless you work, I will not be healed. Lord, unless you provide, I will not get that job. Now, I think that all of us know that in our heads, and I think most of us at times have prayed those kind of prayers, but there's also that voice in the back of our heads that says, God, I know you could do this, but you probably won't do it for me. And that's, friends, why we need to listen to him And hear his word. He's telling us in this text that he always hears the hurting. That he is the God who is with us in the midst of our pain. And that he is the God who is simply beyond incredible. Who's always working on our behalf. And who will make things come together in his time, his way, according to his purpose. Melanie and I have some really good friends who live down in Colorado Springs, and they have their own defense contracting firm. And they make all these agreements and contracts with the federal government to repair radar sites at different places around the world. 
and implement certain kinds of uh, protocols in different defense sites around the world. And every time we get together, it's always fascinating because they're telling us what their company's doing and what their company workers are doing and where they're at. And I listen to that and I'm just thinking, this is an incredibly complex company that has an incredibly difficult, complex job. I mean, they have to map this out for years in advance. They have to hire all their workers. They have to get all their materials. They have to send them to the sites. It takes them a long time to do all of this. And I'm thinking, this is incredibly complex and time-consuming and expensive. And yet, that's exactly why their company exists. Friends, God always has a plan. He had a plan to get the Israelites out of Egypt. He had a plan to get them to the promised land. He knows how long that's going to happen, who's going to be involved, what it's going to take, and every single detail of getting that done. See, that's why he tells Moses here, Moses, I'm going to make it so that Pharaoh will drive you out. The reason he's going to drive you all out, Moses, is because I'm going to implement some plagues on Egypt unlike the world has ever seen. And then Moses, not only on top of that, not only is he going to drive you out, you're going to spoil the Egyptians when you leave. You're going to take all their gold and their silver with you. And then on top of that, I'm going to do some other miracles that you simply cannot believe. Moses, the reason I'm going to do this is because I am the God who is simply beyond incredible. Friend, you might be in a spot today where you cannot hear, you cannot even imagine what God might be saying to you or what he might be doing for you because you are in an incredibly difficult situation. It's something you can't even conceive of this morning. And if that's where you're at, I want you to know you are in really good company. You remember that promise that Abraham and Sarah were given back in Genesis. They were given the promise of a child. And for years and years and years, it looked like God was not going to come through on his promise. And I think at points along the way, they couldn't hear and they felt hopeless. You know the story of the great patriarch Joseph. You know that he was dissed by his brothers and then he was sold into slavery and he still does a good job for Potiphar. And then Potiphar, because of Potiphar's wife, sells him into slavery. And he's sitting there in jail and he's thinking, I was given these dreams. And now look where I'm at. I'm in the midst of an Egyptian prison serving slop to the prisoners. And even Joseph, I think at points, probably felt like he couldn't hear and didn't know if God was doing anything. And I guarantee you, that is exactly how those men and women who had hitched their wagon to that wandering Jewish rabbi named Jesus felt. On that Friday night, after he was nailed naked to a Roman execution rack, and on that Saturday, which was their Sabbath, when he was dead and buried in the grave, they felt like God was doing Nothing. Some of you here know that. You lose a job, you lose a child, you lose a friend. It really, really hurts. And it hurts so badly sometimes that you just can't even hear. 
You know, I get that. You get that. I think we all get that. But what I want to do this morning is encourage us, especially if we're here and we're hurting. I want us to try to the best of our ability, by the grace of God, to listen to these lessons from the Lord. See, in the midst of our suffering, we can always trust God simply because of who He is. He is the God who always hears the hurting. He is the God who will never leave us or forsake us. And He is the God who is simply beyond incredible. And most important of all, He's the God and Father of Jesus Christ who raised Him from the dead on that Sunday morning. And Jesus now rules and reigns over the entire universe. He died but he is now alive forevermore. And when you're in pain, he hears you. And he is right there with you. And because he is simply incredible, he is working on your behalf in ways you cannot conceive of and imagine. See, Jesus is the answer to every question. He is the answer to every silence. He is the answer to every sorrow. So what I want to do and what you really want to do and what we all need to do is listen to this God who first revealed himself to the patriarchs as El Shaddai. And then here in Exodus revealed himself to the children of Israel as Yahweh. And then fully and finally revealed himself as Jesus. As he himself said on more than one occasion, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm going to pray for us quickly, and then Pastor Dan's going to come up and give us some instructions about the Lord's table. Father, thanks so much for our time together today. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your grace. We need it. We ask now that you would bless your table and our worship of you through the celebration of it. In your name we pray. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.